Hey, welcome back to the show. Mike Brancatelli, you're listening to Mike but you already know that because we live in the age of podcasting and you know what you're listening to. I don't need to tell you who I am and who the show is, who the show is, or what the show is. No better intro than the X-Files. I want to You're listening to 99.99.17598 on the Multiverse Radio Network, the only psychedelic radio show in the known galaxy. Today we got a great guest for you. I wish I was alive during the, the golden age of radio. That would be great. I would be great. I don't know if I could keep up that uh, charade for so long, but uh, the I like those. Um, you remember those like infomercial commercials where it's like usually a, a a man and a woman from that time period, and they're like, "If you act now for nineteen ninety nine, you can get this collector's edition limited print." One time, taking you all the way back to the sweet sounds of the summer of love, the 1967 gold-plated edition, with all the hits, such as Something Happening in Here, There's a Man and I Think He's a Queer, and like, whoa, 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 whoops. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, folks. Check out all the B-sides from all your favorite loving hippie songs. You didn't realize that they were all racist, bigots, and homophobes. But that's right, we're selling the B-sides for just $19.99. With such hits as... All the leaves are, all the leaves are brown, and the sky is gray, and the sky is gray. All the leaves are brown, and the sky is gay, and the sky is gay. <laughs> That's right, folks. You thought that this was all about love and peace, but wait till you find out about the dark, ugly side of all of your favorite artists. Taking you, taking you all the way back to the sweet sounds of the summer of 1955 with hits as Come on, ride in my car. No, 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 no. We're gonna drive so far. <laughs> oh. Welcome to the show. I am grateful that you allow me to introduce this show with such uh, freedom, I will say. Uh, So thank you. Thank you for your love and your support and your kindness and your generosity. I appreciate all of you. I just released a bonus episode solo cast called Magic Madness and a Lot of Voices. Um on patreon so get access to that become a patron today become a patron today send in 5.99 to 76 canyon boulevard los angeles in sunny los angeles california (laughs) i think uh quentin tarantino did a a pretty good job of creating that scene again with uh once upon a time in hollywood which i didn't think was a great movie i just thought it was cool uh, atmospherically or, or whatever and um and had some good some good scenes in it and al pacino we can't forget about him al pacino was in it 
One of uh one of my favorite Al Pacino roles is Sen of a Woman. There's just like there I felt like there were all these crazy plots and ideas in nineties movies. They're like, all right, what about a blind guy who's a former arm uh, you know, marine veteran? Hooah, Charlie. Hooah. And then uh, <laughs> a kid who has to look after him, you know, and it becomes like a learning lesson at the end. And I'm driving a car, Charlie. I'm blind as a bat. I can't see, but I'm driving. Oh, watch out for the road, mister. I'm going to blow my... And there's like a scene where Al Pacino goes to like Thanksgiving. He's like, I blow my brains out all over the place. I blow my fucking brains out. Really, it's just a man suffering who needed a little love and attention. I blow my brains out, Charlie. I've seen some shit. Anyway, today's guest is... Uh, wonderful, amazing. Uh, so happy to have met this person and become friends with them and, and do the Isolation Tank live show that, that we've been doing. If you haven't tuned into that, check that out. Isolation Tank. Uh, it's uh, me, uh, today's guest, the ungoogleable Michelangelo, uh, Jennifer Sodini, Jeremy Johnson, Michael Garfield, Michael Phillip, Sophia Rockland, Trisha Eastman, Hallie Rose. Um, other people, and it's great. We we've been streaming live on Fridays at six p.m. Pacific time and nine p.m. Eastern time on the Evolve and Ascend Facebook page and DMT the Spirit Molecule page. Ah, oh, yeah, shout out to Matt Time Wheel uh, as well, who's part of that, and other people that I'm forgetting. But I don't want to make this intro too long because I really enjoyed this conversation. I want you guys to get right into it uh, and listen and hear from the man himself, the ungoogleable Michelangelo, Void Denizen. And uh, yeah, I feel like he, Michelangelo is a, is a kindred spirit in many ways. Uh, I think he's, he's definitely somebody, you know, that uh, sometimes, you know, doing the podcast and just, you know, out in community and meeting people, you don't always meet someone that sort of matches your frequency or inspires you. Uh, and Michelangelo is definitely uh, in, in inspiring me, and I'm really have, uh, really happy to have met him. I I love speaking with him and chatting with him and and hanging with him for in the virtual space. Hopefully in real life too. I I I feel like any any language that I would construct to attribute to this creator of cosmic comedic contemplative content, which are his words, not mine. Uh, would be insufficient, uh, but uh, as he says, he is a a bardo bard and a multi-dimensional artist with psychoactive personality who utilizes wit, wordplay, and a sixth sense of humor to mindfully investigate where the limits of language meet the fringes of reality. And he uh, expresses himself through visual art, written and spoken word, music, film, performance, and he hosts and creates the podcast Self-Portraits as Other People. Okay? So, hey, self-portrait of another person. Um, which is great. I uh, hope to be on. And that would be wonderful because I love jamming with this dude. And uh, I hope you guys will enjoy it too. You know, there's going to be some impressions sprinkled out through, and he does some really, truly 
great ones. And I just lo- I love when I meet someone that can get into can, can just automatically go into characters and go into voices and do impressions. It's uh it's like seeing uh you know it's like seeing another another one of you out there. You know, it's like seeing someone that really is on that frequency and on that level and it's you kind of understand them and and what they're doing more. But I think that um you know, I mean, his his art is is amazing. I I love you know uh, Void Denison on Instagram. Go check that out. The podcast is really creative. I mean, he puts a lot of work into it, and the production is amazing, and the 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 atmosphere and the characters that he creates, and the uh, music, and his just his 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 way with words and the way that he constructs and everything. So. Uh, really, uh, just a big fan, and and happy to call this man my friend, and and uh, and to be able to uh, to chat with him and to explore the vast reaches of the mind within the multiverse of the magical mandala of magic, and you know, see, I'm not, I'm not as good, <laughs> but. But uh, but this is great, great conversation. So, uh, with that being said, we'll keep this short and tight, tight like a tiger, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Please leave a five-star rating and review. That is great currency. Let's other people know that you're enjoying this, that it's a show to be listened to and whatnot. Uh, and if you want to go a step further, go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank or search Mike Adelic podcast or my name on Patreon and uh, consider donating and, and you'll get access to bonus episodes, the private Mike Adelic Inner Sanctum Discord chat, and a bunch of other goodies. I'm still trying to find a good t-shirt uh, style that I want. I, I don't want to just put my podcast logo on a shirt and say, hey, here's merch. I want to create something really unique. So I'm working on that. And um, that's pretty much it. Yeah, without further ado, let's get in this conversation. Oh, I should mention one more thing. One more thing I almost forgot about. Uh, the My friend Zach Geist, who I had on the show a little while ago, who runs the company Student Loan Tutor, is also expanding into other areas. And so if there's anybody out there that uh, would like to have a private consultation to see if they are, um, you could be worked with to help with student loan debt or any debt that you have, Zach is a debt shaman. You know, what he's doing is he is creating a new paradigm that makes the old one obsolete. He is part of the solution. He is paving a new way. He's helping people. He's helped me. I signed up with him. And man, let me tell you, it is magic. What he's doing is magic and his team. He's got a great team of people, a great service that he's, that he's offering. So if you are interested, if you have debt, if you have crippling debt that keeps you imprisoned in the old establishment system that is eroding, that is desperately seeking to keep their control, escape the matrix, take the red pill, you know, go down the rabbit hole, get involved with, uh, with Zach and Student Loan Tutor. You can reach out to them, go to studentloantutor.com or whatever, or you can contact me and I can link you up with him and you could have a private consultation to see if you qualify for their services. The, you know, Zach is a uh, a white wizard, a magic, wait, white wizard? Is that, I have to, no, that, I think that's not, yeah, that's good. That's, that's okay to say. Because that, that's what Gandalf was, right? Gandalf came back as the, 
Gandalf the he was the Gandalf the Grey, and then he came back. You know, he's a wizard of light and light and love, and he runs ecstatic dances, and he's got a sanctuary in Hawaii, and he's just a, an amazing person. And uh, so check that out, and contact me, and I will gladly uh, help set up a call with you with him. Uh, he's a great friend of mine. He helped me out tremendously. And maybe I'll talk more about that, maybe on a Patreon bonus episode. Uh, just released one. Check that out. Much love. Thank you so much for the love and support. Love you all. Hope you're all staying sane and healthy. And uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, let's get into this conversation with my good pal, the ungoogleable. Michelangelo. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. We're recording, we're on, and I just happened. It's happening because you never know what's going to happen, and you want to capture some good stuff, right? I don't know what's going to happen, then how do you explain these notes? (laughs) You made notes? No, actually, this is stupid. Never mind. Wow. No, I'm completely unprepared, and I'm actually, I'm a bit of an insomniac, so I'm going, I'm running on fumes right now, so this is going to be interesting. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. I'm, I'm a bit of a night owl. I don't know if I, I'd say insomniac. What, what, what's your, what's, uh, what's going on? You no sleep or limited sleep? Well, let's just say my demons are especially chatty these days. Oh boy. Oh man. Yeah. And I'm also a night owl. I'm usually a, um, let's say like a 3 a.m. sleeper, but these days I try to go to bed at that time and then don't fall asleep till like six or seven which usually wow. means i don't wake up until like one but uh we had scheduled this a little earlier than that so yeah um, well we could we could always reschedule no 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 let's see how we can how we can more easily slip and slide into the in and out of delirium in this one which could actually work to our advantage right it could work to our advantage sometimes i feel that i'm so overtired that something else comes out that mm-hmm. forces me forward so yeah exactly and you know we can always uh change the name to uh Mike delirium podcast or something you know like however it's gonna work yeah, oh, and oh. if it's if it's garbage, we throw it in the can. That's right. It sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a good uh, approach to take, you know. Uh, but I highly doubt that. I highly doubt that. Yeah, you're, uh, you're doing unpre- being unprepared and and not doing research uh, beforehand is usually uh, the way that I like to kind of flow with someone that I sort of know, but. That's not what I did with you. I I dove in, man, and be and I really like explored and and. Nice. 
because there's there's so much it's it, it's infinite almost like it just kept going almost. down <laughs> yeah well you told me to you're like yeah just kind of pick your own path and go down and that's exactly what i did so the the route that i took was i listened to your two podcasts that you did that were solo casts which were like mm-hmm. storytelling kind of you know uh those 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 shows then i read and some stuff on your website. I looked at your art. I went to your, I mean, I just went to so many different places. Uh, nice. Seance fiction. I listened to some, some of oh, that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so I went, I went everywhere. I went everywhere. Uh, and, and um, yeah, I, I guess like rather than me trying to explain, I don't even know how I want to do this. Like, I don't even know if I want to do like an interview. I don't think I really want to. Like, let's wrap. I, let's, let's just yeah, wrap. Let's, like, I just feel like you're just, I don't know. You're like this kind of like, like as Alan Watts would say, like prickly goo and gooey prickle. Like you're just like a ball of like moving and you got to kind of catch it, you know? And I've been called worse. Yeah. <laughs> You've been called worse than a moving ball. <laughs> a ball of prickly goo. Yeah. Yeah. Prickly goo and gooey prickles. Like it's just uh, all sides. So yeah. I like how I- your Alan Watts impression is always this kind of like, uh, it's like a phrase and then its own undoing. You know, the girl went up the tree. She came down the next day, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with eyes closed, close your eyes. I I realized that I could do. I, he's kind of hard to do. So I do this like exaggerated version of him, and then I do like I think we're a good version of him where he said, but it's only one thing. It's a it's like a micro impression, and it goes like, so then. That's great. That's like sometimes that's all you need, you know. Like you ever see that? Um, I think his name is Ross Marquand. Ross Marquand. Ross Marquand. The guy from uh, Walking Dead. He has oh yeah yeah the little micro impressions, and they're so good. Like some of them are literally not even a word. It's just like a sound of just like somebody starting to speak, and just the nuances and everything. It's so spot on. But yeah, Alan Watts is one that I've never. I mean, I, I could do um, you know excellent. A British accent or something like that, but but when it, when it comes to him, it's, uh, it's you know he's got the little intonations and things, but I've never really gotten him. When I do it, it sounds more like um, Peter Serafinovich, who is just Ooh. a fun name to say. Yeah, say it with me, Serafinovich. Serafinovich, interesting. Yeah, fun, isn't it? We could just it do that this whole podcast. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, you're, that's like like your deal is that you're just kind of like this chameleon morphing into an, an infinite void of creation and destruction and and playful, silly amazingness. I, I can't word it as well. You're like a wordsmith too, and you're de- always deconstructing things and breaking them down. Uh, maybe you can like, like like a mushroom kind of, isn't it? <laughs> it's sort of like the mycelium breaking everything down and rebuilding it from the bottom up. For a while, I was thinking of changing my name to Mycelangelo, but you know, you can't keep changing it up because it's not good for branding. Well, that's interesting because when we were at La Terrera, <laughs> that's terrible. That's, I remember I was interested because I'm like, you did the Terrence and then I'm like, can you do Dennis? Because I felt like Dennis is like almost harder to do. Well, he is harder to do, but it's I've been working on it for a little bit, and it's it's kind of like Terrence. It's just a little more lumbering, and uh, it's got a different kind of grip on the voice. Yeah. So is that this is like you as a as an entheogen? Like this is this is sort of the practice. Like this is very representative of that. You know, 
of that of the of the experience. I read that that article that you wrote, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and that that to me like this kind of morphing in and out of of beings and being sort of being this kind of uh, non solid existing singular thing and just. Your 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 what was it you said it's like I don't have I don't have an ego I have many many egos <laughs> right. eating yeah, I, I, I don't I don't have a big ego I just have a bunch of little ones yeah and my alter egos have alter egos of their own yeah it's one of those things where it's there's a part of me that just like rebels against definition or self definition which is why it's I'm kind of glad we're bypassing that part on this podcast because some podcasts have been on where. People didn't really do the deep Who dive to really you? get a feel for it. What are yeah, you? exactly. And then, <laughs> then I got to turn the mirror on itself and it becomes, you know, I, I can rap on it, but it still feels very like um, weird to like find all these identifiers. Kind of like when you look at, say, like a Hindu god with uh, its many arms, right? Like Alokitasvara or something like that. They're supposed to be this transcendent figure, but they end up looking more like a coat rack or a Swiss army knife, you know, where they're just like holding on to all these self-identifying objects. It's like, oh, you're this all-powerful being. What's that in your hand? This is my drum. I really like my drum. This here is my knife. I'm really attached to this knife. And it's just like, <laughs> that's what you kind of become. It's like, oh, I do this thing and I do that thing and I do this thing and I do that. And, I, you know, it just becomes this let's just experience the thing is ultimately I think we're all yeah. as identities, we're experiences and we're explorations and the whole, like the whole idea that I'm ungoogleable and that actually makes me Googleable. Yes. Is that, is that it's this sort of anti-branding brand, you know, it's this, this rebellion against the, and it's an incidental thing. It's not something that I like engineered or set out to attain, but there is always this, because we are always in flux and we are always moving with shifting frequencies, especially in this time when everything is so uncertain. Uh, and, you know, when you think of evolution, which is the process of mutation, that it's it's basically improv and improvement, right? Natural selection is basically like improvisation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's free association. So I think that I'm kind of like wired in some weird way to move with things and try to anticipate uh unanticipatable things <laughs> to anticipate the un- unanticipatable yeah yeah like just reading through your stuff and and listening to your shows like and uh, it the, the that 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 deconstruction of words like it, would you call it a deconstruction of words is that right to say deconstruction of words or is there a different kind of word that you could uh put to that the way that you sort of shape the words, like you said, you talked about um, uh, re- recreation or what was recreation, recreation, mm-hmm. recreation, right? Well, that's, I just, I just feel like language is such a such an interesting thing because it hits us on so many levels. Like it's a synesthetic technology, it's a telepathic technology, it's a communicative and perceptive technology, and in a sense, the fabric of consciousness, you know, the, 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 the net we cast out with which to specifically perceive, not just as like some like vague, every, so all a big everything awareness, but the specific, um, symbol interfaced, um, reaction to the environment. And we experience it as a text that is beheld as, a sound in the head and as imagery and concepts. And at the same time, it's also a sonic experience. So 
I feel like I, and I'm also, English is my second language, you know, I'm from the Netherlands, right. so Dutch is my first language, which also gives me a kind of like translinguistic or interlinguistic um, sleight of hand or sleight of mind, I think, that gives me extra access yeah. in some strange way or extra uh, cross-reference points. And so it's, there's a constant um, juxtaposition between like sounds and words and and shapes of sounds and 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 different etymological like undercurrents where um it's it I, I set out this is a little backstory i set out almost 20 years ago i started writing uh what was then starting off as a novel and the uh the main character in it was also a writer so it was again that kind of like casting of alter egos with alter egos this kind of like uh, meta cascade into the infinite and he wanted to he, he, he found that there was a limit to language and he wanted to destroy language by its own means so that it would give birth to meaning. And through his exploration, he basically, it, the, the language, my own language started transforming through that exploration and it became more sound. So it became like, for instance, he would like listen to the sound of the of a palm tree swaying in the breeze and that was like the true language. So he, he was like, how do I capture that? And he's talking to... Uh, he goes into the void with with these two other people, and one of them is a sound engineer, and one of them is like a beat poet drummer. And the the lesson of it is, well, then make it sound like that. So it's more about like the the poetic entrainment that captures something alive within the dead text. Yeah, that makes it the only, and, and you know when you have like a text, it is very much like a graveyard. It is like um, it's a it's it's like a field of dead thoughts that have been left in the wake. And in the private theater of the mind, this is revived. So it is, is very much like a revival, right? And, you know, when a, a, an author reads their own work out loud, it comes alive. Yeah. Especially when it's somebody like a McKenna. It has a very lively quality. There's only one exception to that is William Burroughs. Yeah. When you, when you hear Burroughs yeah, read his books. words, I don't think he does because when he reads, you can hear the words dying on the page. <laughs> Yeah. 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 It is like, it really does give this, uh, this, this extra life to it. This is why I like podcasting so much. And I don't really mm -hmm. write, um, I don't write, I mean, I've written some things, but I really like the, uh, getting like cha almost channeling like a flow state through conversation. And uh, one of my friends described it as the the emergent conversation, sort of the the improv of ideas and thoughts and characters and things like that. I I really like that space. To me, I feel most alive in that space. Like I feel most alive in that that unstable kind of shaky ground of 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 who knows what's going to come up. Um, yeah, and 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 just to get back to the language part of it, it really is a. You know, as Terrence would say, like, you know, if you understand language, then you understand reality, you know, or, or something, he says something to, similar to that effect. And so, yeah, you really, you really, play, you, I get the sense that through all of the things that you do, it's just this kind of malleability that you see in everything, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a malleability, or I call it abyss malleability, because it's, you, you know, it's, you it's basically, it's all based in a, in a philosophy of void and imagination, in the sense that there is a, a kind of a trend, kind of, what's that? Website plug. Yeah, website plug. Voidandimagination.com. Uh, this sense that, you know, there is this like translinguistic zone, like the, so my, my whole, 
my tagline is where the limits of language meet the fringes of reality. So when you hit that sweet spot, it's kind of like your language can't touch that. But I'm like, oh, that's a forbidden zone. Well, then you must outwit the impossible. Then you must disguise the limit. You know, you got to like find your way around that. Uh, I was talking to Michael Phillip on his podcast about this, the idea of the the wily coyote who paints the the road on the wall in hopes that the roadrunner will run into it. And then the roadrunner literally runs into that road. You know, it's this guy's the limit. So finding that spot where you hit the void and by actually entering into that or like doing that void gaze, you know, when Mm -hmm. you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back, you get imagination gets prompted from that metaphor dispensary. And so I forget what the question was, but it has something to do with this. Yeah. So that, <laughs> this is where the delirium kicks in. I, ju- I just get the sense that this just comes naturally to you. Like this is just naturally who you are. You're compelled to be this, right? I mean, that's what I would assume. It's not like you're practice. I mean, I'm obviously with every artwork and craft comes practice, but yeah. Wa- like walk me through what that's like when you, when you approach the, the, the edge, you know, is it this sort of thing where you're like, oh, I got an idea and I kind of see it dangling like a carrot in front of me, but it hasn't be- become fully formed yet. And then you just kind of break it down. You go into it like yeah. in, in, in a way, like it depends on the medium, of course. Yeah. But I think most of the things that I approach, I think when with writing, it might be a little different because with writing, it is an intellectual approach because you do want to know what you're going to be saying unless you just can like completely like ramble channel scramble uh, a whole book in you know in one go but uh, most of my mediums are approached this way that's like you know you 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 go to that ledge and you just kind of like free fall with trust and you know hope to sprout wings and yeah. then just then it becomes kind of like you become subject to the algorithms of randomization and if you trust the interplay of those forces, then it'll prompt whatever it is that's going to come out. So it's really just like the entrainment of trust. Yeah. It's like self-trust and trust in the process. So in that sense, yeah, it does come natural to me. And at, at sometimes the spirit is more willing and at other times it's more, there's more work to it. And there's a lot of, I'm not like, so like in the beat, the beat generation, there were kind of like three, three thought streams, which in the movie Naked Lunch, they do a great job bringing these about, which is like, it's like um, Kerouac and Ginsburg are sitting in a diner and they're, they're discussing with each other the, what's the proper way to write. And Kerouac's whole thing is like, no, nah, man, rewriting is a sin. You got to go with that first initial pure thought and just like let that ride. And then Ginsburg is like, no, it must, you know, I, I, th- I think guilt is the way that you have to go. You have to constantly rewrite every, every word, every letter. And then Burroughs shows up and they're like, what do you think, Bill? And he goes, exterminate all rational thought. <laughs> so it's like somewhere, somewhere in that trinity is kind of the way to go. Like there is the initial flow and impulse. But then, of course, you know, it's like, you're, you're, you're creating a rhythm with a uh, uh, percussive modality that isn't necessarily perfect always. So like in the Kerouac sense, you want to leave that standing. In the Ginsburg sense, you want to constantly doctor that. And then in the, the Burroughs sense, you want to just like completely delve into the unconscious. And I, I find there's like a balance between all of those of like a fine tuning and engineering to get 
the syntax and everything, every word just kind of like perfectly placed so that it hits the right marks, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that one feels more labored to you or do you like, do you feel more called to one particular thing that you, that you do one creative outlet that you do, or do you kind of view them all, uh, as, as one thing in themselves? I, I think they all inform each other, which is one of the reasons I've always, um, one of, one of my struggles, I think, is is bringing it into cohesion or bringing like a concrete thing out. Like if I would put out a book, it's like there's dimensions missing in that, you know. If I put out a painting, there's dimensions missing or music or film. There's always dimensions. Well, film is actually the one that brings most of the dimensions together. But there's always some dimension missing. So I try to like right now I'm working on kind of I have these like larger um landfills of thought we'll say like these unfinished manuscripts that i'm kind of like mining for like smaller things i can publish so right now i'm taking a bunch of artwork and writings and kind of combining them into like a little kind of graphic novel chapbook kind of thing and then with that there will be kind of like a, a soundscaped spoken word element that gives like access to another dimension of that so it's always kind of a cross-informing thing because the the actual medium is the self yeah the actual medium is the thing that's off the page you know the actual substance is the thing that's always just outside of the recording you know what i mean yeah that's why i just started recording as soon as we as soon as you showed up you know i wanted to oh recording (laughs) yeah Um, oh great i can't wait to hear this (laughs) i could play it back right now we could just sit here and listen to it that'll be the podcast Wow, that was great, bud. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that kind of like that rewind bit, like that reminded me of that scene in um, what was it like Ace Ventura with Jim Carrey when he's like, "You like, let's let's see that in instant replay." Yeah, yeah, and you have like this sort of Jim Carrey-ish, Robin Williams, comedic, like also like George Carlin and his like wordplay and like kind of poetry, like poetic sense too uh, about you. Like when you were described, when you were just talking about mining, you know, through everything and, you know, what, what is that, what does that feel like for you? Like, what is that sort of motivating factor in there that you're, that you're searching for to like bring forth into the world? What a loaded question. Yeah. Well, first of all, like, like um, <laughs> definitely Jim Carrey and Robin Williams were like huge influences on me as a kid. You know, like that's, that's, you know, like the whole idea of epigenetics, like they definitely, whatever they were sprinkling into the world, whatever light they were sowing through there, like, like lawn sprinklers, that stuff got absorbed and braided into my own DNA, I feel. Uh, and there's also, there's that both of them, they speak to the kind of like the mimetic quality, which I feel has to do with learning, you know, monkey see, monkey do. The idea of mirroring your environment, perceiving patterns, absorbing them. And then I think that's like the closest way to emulate understanding is to become the thing. Mm, yeah. And I, ha- I had an experience um, years and years ago, actually, like 17 years ago, during one of my first ayahuasca experiences where I encountered a race of beings on the other side of my DNA that were like these scruffy little 
almost like susical creatures with these perked snouts. And they had this linguistic aura that resonated their name. And their name was something like, but I pulled like a little branch off of that. And I called them Lilio Macau when I came out. And these Lilio Macau, what they were doing was they were just standing by as I lay there. And they were sending out these frequencies that were like prickling across my DNA and across my body, just across my like cellular makeup. And I could feel my whole face shifting and my, my snout becoming perked and, and becoming like one of them. And this is how they communicated is by turning you into one of them. Wow. And so that's how you would understand what they are, you know, like, um, but I kind of went off on a little side stream. No, I'm glad you did. That was you, good. Because yeah. you had because you had a specific question, and I had a specific answer. But I uh, I let the delirium slipstream me. All good. Yeah, it's all good. Um, but yeah, maybe we can. I like can I like slipstreams of delirium, and tangents. Yeah, yeah it's uh, that's that's really interesting. I I feel like I uh, I've experienced things like that before as well. You know where? Oh, I, re- I remember the question. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but because uh, you asked what what it what that's like to kind of like dig through all that, all that stuff. And I I could open up a can of worms on that front, um, which I have one story that I always end up telling on most podcasts, which I then liken to, um, that's kind of like my Alex Gray moment where he goes, 37 years ago, my wife Allison and I got dissolved into a universal mind lattice and went up a seraphic toroidal <laughs> sphere and came up with the chapel of sacred mirrors. Um, <laughs> so this is this is my 37 years ago when I met my wife Allison story, nice. um, which uh, – let me see where I, what's the best entrance point to this? Well, I'm just, I'm going to kind of, kind of, cause I've told the story so many times, I'm going to bypass the meat of it and go straight to the conclusion, which was that uh, during a breakthrough LSD experience, I um, kind of broke through the walls of time and, and tapped into this eternal creative energy that had always been and always will be present that I recognized as something that I would feel okay calling God because it's eternal creative imagination. And I let that in and it inspired me to create a painting in a way that I'd never painted before. That was like pure channel. And every doubt that came up was washed away by this, this, this wash of trust. And I didn't even think of what it was that I was creating. It was like pure, just like, just keep going with it. And sometimes the brush strokes, sometimes the paint would like trail behind the brush. And sometimes the brush strokes were ahead of the brush and I was tracing it and chasing it like a white rabbit into this like unknown wonderland. And by the end of it, I stepped back and looked at the painting and it was like a perfect representation of the process, or at least in my interpretation of it. And what I concluded from that is that everything we create, everything that we uh, bring out into this world, that we birth into the world, comes from this repository in eternity. Because in eternity, everything is already has happened, will happen, is happening all at once. You know, it's like uh, ubiquity, simultaneity. And through creative acts, however small or however large, we we basically take the frozen future, which is frozen and in waiting, and it becomes thought out, very well thought out. And it streams backwards in time so that the visionary can drink of this stream and profess it into the present, into the present. And that's how time progresses itself through humanity, right? Like through novelty ingression, basically, is what I'm describing. Uh, and this idea that 
there was this like repository of unrealized art waiting to be realized in the vaults of eternity became the um, groundwork for an exploration that continues to this day. But there was one particular epoch during around 2007 where I had a, a very psychedelic and intentional summer exploring this idea. It first came through uh, my first smoked DMT experience through which I came in touch with kind of this uh, this portal, this like Merkaba, Merkabalistic, I call it, because it's like a Kabbalah, Merkaba, wheel within a wheel portal that I felt was like the stepping stone of the cosmos into that space. And I had seen it before in an ayahuasca experience, but now I got like 10 minutes of unending splendor to like stare into it. And I got this sense, like if I can access this through this thing, I can access the repositories of eternity and I can unearth this manuscript that I've been working on and that has branched off into many different things. And I can bring this, I can shamanically retrieve this thing, right. To unearth this, this thing from, from the repositories of eternity. And so I went on a, on a summer long escapade through uh, many substances and substances. I like to think of as a substance, which is an understanding because each of these substances give you a particular framework through which to view the world or to understand the world. Uh, and, but what I came to understand in this exploration was that the thing I was trying to liberate from eternity, the thing that I was trying to realize wasn't just a manuscript. It wasn't just a product, but it was myself. Mm. And that I was the living scripture that I was trying to bring into this world so that I could jump off the page out of the theory of the mind of who I am into the like self-realized real boy Pinocchio that could dance upon the stage of the world. And this went through a series of kind of like uh, shamaniacal, uh, megalomaniacal, um, semi-theatrical um, episodes. And not to say that I have realized myself or that I am done with the work, but it was a big realization that the real work isn't on the page, you know, uh, which was also one of the solo episodes you listened to was called yeah, it what was, was it uh, what is it? All I, the world is a stage. Yeah, that I perform on the page. Right, right. Which is which? Actually, that I think that piece get touches onto some of the themes of what I just described. Yeah, kind of like uh, almost like stream of consciousness, like uh, which is again like the reiteration of that unearthing or of that excavation of the self and of these ideas, because it's not like you download this stuff and then it's like, now I know this and now I can just like rattle this off every time, which you get with a lot of people. Like, you know, you get, you've had Daniel Pinchback on the show and I'm sure that he started, I didn't listen to it, but I'm sure he started off with like, yeah. So I, uh, I started off as kind of a, um, you know, existentialist uh, materialist perspective. And, and then I, uh, I remembered uh, in my twenties, I uh, did psychedelics and, it was, you know, like these kind of like stories that we keep telling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what I like, what you were kind of touching onto earlier about the living medium of the podcast and what did you call it? Emergent storytelling, the emergent conversation, yeah, the emergent conversation. I, that's what I like about the podcast medium is that it's, it's the opportunity to, tell and retell a story from different angles and different perspectives and different takes rather than some finite written published product. And it gives us the sense of uh, a scavenger hunt across different platforms that anybody who's interested can like dive in and, and catch 
other different parts to familiarize themselves with this kind of like funhouse mirror of mind. Yeah, man. Wow. I wish I talked to you before I was on uh, Third Eye Drops recently because Michael Phillip asked me about like my origin story or whatever. And I found myself getting bored telling the same story again on like I had just done two podcasts the day before where they asked me the same thing. And so I, I like undersold the story. I was like, yeah, you know, like I had this like profound experience, whatever, you know, like <laughs> non-dual, left my body, you know, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Here I am today. And I'm just like, why did I do that? Like I could have taken the opportunity to get more creative and told it from a different, you know, just move the telescope one degree to another mm -hmm. location of an infinite sea of stars and explored that realm a little bit more. So I'm, I'm glad that you said that because, uh, cause I do feel like I was kicking myself after I was like, Oh, why did I, you know, tell that story like that? And, um, mm -hmm. do you, do you, do you still like, do you get that sort of, I, I, I assume that you probably do as someone who's creating, like you feel like what you were telling me about how when you release something, you feel like it's not fully, I don't know, I forget the word you use, but not fully complete or it's not, do you still feel that, uh, that feeling? Like I, I imagine you probably do. That's probably what keeps artists moving forward, right? Is like, it's not good enough yet, or it's not done yet, or there's more to it. Well, I suffer from a a self-diagnosed uh, condition that I call visionary blindness, mm. which is the sense that it's actually appropriate that you're micadelic, which is the uh, mic manifesting, right? Yeah, yeah. The manifestation right. yeah. of finally mics. one person, one. one. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you've, you've got you've got two mics right now. Well, that was it's uh, interesting because my my dad wanted to have my middle name be Angelo. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, my mother's maiden name is Leonardo. Oh, right, because you're Italian, right? Yeah. So, uh, and my, mo my, my mother's yeah my mother's maiden name is leonardo so the idea was that it would be like michael and collect the whole set yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah 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 and also it's funny because mike manifesting is very much akin to what i was just talking about the like self-realization or like uh downloading yourself or excavating yourself yeah. from that's from what eternity the podcast means that's i'm so glad that yeah, you got yeah. that not a lot of people get that and i'm like yes thank you it's just it's funny because the story i was telling about telling you about the kind of the the frozen future i had originally called that the fossilized future and then i was telling the story on future fossils and i was like it's funny that it's called future fossils and um garfield of course is a paleontologist so then i told him that i consider myself a paleontologist <laughs> and kind of went in into that story but um Again, I'm like, I'm, I think I'm, I've got my wits about me, but my context keeps slipping away. So I have to like catch my uh, metaphysical footing here and there because we, again, like slipped, almost slipped past a question. Like a slip and slide. We slid past. That I just like, that I just like let gliding in. So I got yeah, well, to kind of boomerang back. Oh, I just got really excited that you got the Mikeadelic <laughs> thing. So that's what broke up the, the thought. Oh, yes, yes. What you were asking about the... The, the, the uh, visionary blindness, that's what I was right. getting into, right? So visionary blindness, what I describe it as is this sense that there's the entirety of me, my higher self, if you will, you know, the, my, the higher octave of my, uh, of my being, the uh, uh, illuminated unconscious knows what's happening. But the, the part of me, uh, the everyday part of me, the everyday avatar often has no clue and you know i have to open up and kind of like receive these these bits and pieces and 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 jam with it like we've been doing uh, and that's 
oftentimes what, what the creative act, especially with painting or with music and, and other kinds of improvisational or divinatory acts are, it's the, the manifestation of mind. Like I have to speak it or paint it in order to see what's on the mind and then interpret from there. So it's kind of like this backwards process. So it is, so I can't really get bored with it in that sense. Like some people, they might be like, oh, I have this idea and I want to draw it like this and I'm going to paint that or I'm going to do it just like this and this. And it's like, where's the fun in that? You already know what it is. And it's coming from a place of completion and basically from an intellectual egoic construction rather than from a uh, self-furthering exploration, which is ultimately what I try to move towards because I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to map myself and myself of selves you know what i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and 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 the idea of story that i think about a lot because i have unfinished stories that live alongside me and it really feels like this shadow or this like spirit this like daemon that moves alongside me the, are these stories that kind of float in space unborn and untold because they haven't been finalized they haven't been made finite. So they have this like infinite quality, including like characters that have like somewhat of a life of their own. And so by retelling them in different ways, it keeps the stories alive. And even if they're written down, like I was saying, like in a, in a field of dead thoughts that can be revived, resurrected, um, go through reincantations in the minds of a reader, again, the story comes alive, but there is some quality about like living with story, including your own story. Like you said, your origin story, but the funny thing is like, you're still originating, like you're still arriving, you know? It's not like you are now this fully formed being like, I am this thing and this is how I came to be this thing. Like you're a, you're a human becoming. You're yeah. still in that process of, of realization. And, um, it's it's funny because there's there might and I'm just realizing this now again through this like uh, externalization of mind that there might be a part of me that's been that keeps myself in a kind of obscurity or anonymity or without really like products to peddle because of that because it feels like it would create this kind of like finalization through through branding or marketing which really that's marketing in a sense is kind of like a, a death spell of of something right it's like this is what it is this is how it's told this is how it's sold by now for a limited time only you know yeah yeah it's like typecasting yourself you know into one specific type role setting even typesetting yourself yeah yeah like i like you're just you're stuck in in uh one of those things that they put the uh the bad guy prisoners in and superman those like floating mirrors and uh, superman 2 i think it is where they're just like have you ever seen it <laughs> no I don't oh think so. it's 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 cool yeah they they have this like uh their their jail sentences they like they put you know on this other planet i think i guess it's krypton they put the prisoners in this like mirror glass and they're just like floating in space in this like prison of glass mirror wow. thing um i like i like the term you just used jail sentencing because that's what it feels like it's the sentence like the the verbal or like lexical sentence is the jail that we live in you know it's the 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 self-definition through uh, a, a singular set of terms that becomes like you know the term that you serve it's like you you, become, you serve this like um, this image of yourself, this like, which is again, like social media, right? This idea of this avatar or this, um, 
this 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 creation of this limited, perfected, curated self image. That's why I th- I've thought at some point of Facebook as fate book because every post is really an epitaph or you know is a is a eulogy. It's like uh, you're if every post that you put into the world could be put on your tombstone, which will probably be an iPad by the time we're done. Uh, you know, and this funeral is brought to you by Yahoo, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And every picture that you put up as your profile picture is your most recently expired self-identification. Then, you know, it becomes like fate book. It becomes this, this constant expiration of self that we're curating of how we'd like to be seen or remembered. Yeah. And then of course your, your feed becomes, your uh communication to uh the as as the ancestors to future generations yeah this the, it it really has this sort of like mass collective homogenization you know of of blandness i think and unoriginality un- like with the branding with the market like all right you're you're a you know, what's your brand? What's your logo? What's your thing? Like, you know, okay, that's got to be uniform across the board. Like, what's your painting style? Oh, you're psychedelic. We talked about this the other day about the kind of limitations of the, it's almost like uh, paint by number at this point, you know, it's like, all right, put a fractal here, put a thing here. Yeah. You become a servant to your own ego. Like your ego becomes kind of like deified to yourself which we were talking about uh in the context of like alex gray who is an an amazing excavator of ideas but also has become sort of like a slave to his own vision and you know there's almost like a there's such a formula at play now and even though what he makes is incredible and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it projects a certain message into the world it's again i feel a message though he went into those spaces and brought back incredible maps they've been rendered in human form to make them more palatable and i think we were talking about the um i was bringing up how the first thing you think about in an alex gray painting are all the eyes and they're human eyes because he's a humanizer now this guy's a humanizer so it's humanizing these spaces that are spiritual they're non-human and that's the beauty of it and when you stare into that abyss it stares back with non-human eyes so it um but yeah, again, I went kind of, I digressed, but yes, <laughs> the, uh, whatever we were just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That wow, this bio- biodegradable timeline is interesting, man. <laughs> Bio-degrad- Thanks, delirium. Yeah. This moment is brought to you by delirium. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I wonder if you could like, people are like, oh, automation is going to replace everyone's jobs. And I just like had a thought of like a robot replacing, like Al- like Alex Gray, like the Alex Gray bot, and just like like I-, I wonder if there could be like yeah, you could probably program. It's an imitable it. style. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. That's what happens. What I think Alfred Hitchcock said something like, "Style is when you steal from yourself, when you see patterns in your own work and you replicate them." And I think like something like an Alex Gray or like most visionary art is imitable. So yes, I think automation can take over i've thought about that too like when people are like oh robots are going to take our jobs it's like oh yeah freelancing robots that go out to auditions i'd like to see that <laughs> yeah it reminds me of uh of, of that guy mr brainwash if you've ever seen the movie yes. yeah exit yes. from the gift shop like in that sort of uh well, yeah what do you th- what's what's your impression of that like a lot of people are like oh well my impression of mr brainwash yeah yeah uh, i don't know you say you're a french guy right uh, what's that the movie called he made uh what was it called? Uh, Life Fast Forward, something? Life Rewind? Something like that. I don't remember. 
But yeah, no, that's not that's not what you were asking. Yeah, my impression of that's a good impression. Yeah, like oh, his yeah. sort of the 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 what what he started doing, and, you know, and how he started like it was almost like he was creating as like a like I I take it as like he's creating as a commentary on on like almost like prank like a prank almost. Of like, I think it. I think it just grabs it by the marketability, you know. It grabs art by the marketability, and it's almost it's almost like satire, but it's also not. It's also like it's, it's very much grabbing it by the by the horns and branding it like cattle ranching terminology, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, I love that movie, and I, I I'm not like a Mr. Brainwash fan where I'm like, oh wow, his uh, imitation of a Warhol esque thing is interesting, but it is very much that. Kind of, it's it's also he's like an impressionist in the sense that he does impressions of things that are considered art in such a way that it caters and panders to people's, uh, to to not people's tastes, but how do I put this to like what people have been conditioned to think of as taste? Because mm. a lot of a lot of people will not think of something as good or even recognize it unless they're told that it is, you know? Right. I mean? Yes. Yes. And that's why a lot of things that are new or different, they're harder to grasp because it requires thought <laughs> because it requires consciousness and it requires your own, the, the synthesis, the synthesization, the synthesization of one's own, perspective and i think that's what dare i say good art i think that's what interesting art does at least that is that it activates something it sets some kind of gear in motion that ultimately makes you the piece of art it's almost like the art is looking into you and reflecting you back at yourself because you have to find how you relate to it rather than it being like having like the perfect symmetrical easy to access with all the symbols you recognize. Cause I think that the, the, the synthesization to try and emulate that word again, uh, of, of symbols is kind of what's at the core of growth and of expansion of reality and expansion of mind. Uh, and I think we talked about this a little bit as well. And I also, I start off my introduction to the second episode of my podcast about this, but that idea of visuals, Right. That when people uh, and this is also becoming my 37 years ago, my wife, Allison, repetitive thing. But it's it's a fun thing to reiterate that notion that when we go into a psychedelic experience and come back and say, look, yeah, I saw some visuals. I had some visuals, some visual, some visuals. It's this like weird thing where it's it's just so lazy to me because that is like the deepest part of ourselves synthesizing a language from our cellular makeup that is custom curated to ourselves. And if we engage with it, we can, again, like what I was describing about the art that like views you in return, it becomes this, this like interfacial dance, interfacial love story between yourself and your, 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 your deeper cellular sense of self, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like talking to you, and being like, oh, so what? So what did Mike say? Well, he was making sounds with his voice. It's like, yeah, but what was he saying? You know, like visuals. Okay, but what were they conveying to you? And if they weren't, can you can you kind of direct your mind lasers of your mind into that space and see what it reflects back? Mm. Like yeah. that's what I'm. That's what I'm interested in. Uh, yeah, in that regard. 
Yeah. What is that? I think it's uh, like Carl Jung or someone says like to gaze into the abyss and the abyss stares back at you or who said that? Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Yeah. Uh, Freddie Freddy Nietzsche. Oh, yeah. Freddie Nietzsche said to me once, he says, when you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes into you. And when you are uh, pursuing monsters, be careful that you don't become a monster. And when you read Freddie Nietzsche, be careful that you don't become Freddie Nietzsche. And when... <clears throat> I digress. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I like how you br- you brought that voice into it because I I was like playing around the other day. That's what with, a classic Nietzsche reader sounds. That's like. what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, this fucking Frederick Nietzsche guy. Like I had uh, I had this uh, like where I guess where I come from in 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 New York uh, around that area is like a kind of a lot of the stereotypical. Uh, New York, New Jersey kind of folk, you know, and uh, I, 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 I've, I'm sort of like a weird, you know, black sheep that somehow, you know, managed to escape that that molding. And um, but I still like my, you know, my fan, a lot of my family members. So I always think it's funny to do like like doing like these culture swaps and, and having a, a guy like some kind of like overweight italian new jersey mobster type guy like yeah i saw these fucking visuals in this i was drinking ayahuasca and the fucking you know the the kundalini activated in my chakras is fucking unbelievable you know just like putting putting just got some new rims i just got some new rims put on my chakras too those babies are spinning yeah wheels within wheels i tells you like I would love to do like a culture swap and just put people that you would never expect into certain situations because I, that's kind of like your self portraits as as other people is like seeing the world through the lens of of another right right yeah, yeah. and I think also you in the in the in the terminology of our time you become kind of like the bleach injection <laughs> into that culture you know what I mean yeah if indeed. Uh, disinfectants uh, uh, injected into the bloodstream would be some kind of, uh, uh, you know, um, cure. Right. But yeah, you become because you are of that culture. You can infiltrate that, and you can you can sow those seeds and germinate that soil in a way. You know, like I think, like I'm a big fan of uh, Maynard James Keenan, the singer from Tool and Perfect Circle and Pussifer, and he is very much. I went to one of the Pussifer concerts, and I was kind of blown away by the kind of crowd that was there it was a lot of like meat heads like people without necks uh and you know like people that just like eat dick jokes for dinner <laughs> exactly mike just did a perfect impression by like completely eradicating his neck <laughs> but i was like kind of surprised by that because he's such a thoughtful and an introspective kind of poet you know but then I realized like, oh, wait, that's this guy's luring them in with dick jokes, kind of like Bill Hicks, who was a friend of his also did. And then he's he's delivering the medicine and, and giving them the tools with which to grow out of their kind of like uh, to, with which to grow a neck, essentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's giving the, them the tools. The turtleification. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because that's that I found like just talking about the like the message and like the delivery and the and the method and that whole aspect of it is really interesting to me because it's almost like I wonder, you know, that that must be a choice on his part, right? Like to to sort of say, like, well, you know, this is this is going to be palatable, this is going to be accessible, but there's something deeper that's hidden below that's going to affect you as well. It, it might be a choice or it might also just be this kind of self-arising or this incorporation of 
kind of a choice beyond choices, you know, because I feel sometimes choices or intentions are informed by their own intentions from some other place. And then that's what I find in myself is like, I'll hear myself saying things or doing things. And then later I'll be like analyzing it to try and figure out like, what am I? It's like, oh, wow, that that was very clever. Like, I like this guy, you know, (laughs) it could be that kind of thing. Maybe it's unanalyzable. Unanalyzable. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, it can be analyzed, but it's, yeah, I think, I don't know if he like sat down and he's like, I'm going to do things this way. But I think it's just like the different parts of his psyche. You know, I think there is the part of him that really like does a lot of introspection and a lot of deep diving and then like uh, kind of alchemizes this medicine from that. And then there's the part of him that just likes to scream and like vent his anger and, you know, which then attracts, of course, the people that also have that. But that's why it was beautiful to see their progression from, you know, this just kind of like very angry rock metal kind of thing to, you know, anima, which like brought in kind of like the Jungian self-analytical aspect of things still with the anger in there. And then with lateralis, it became this very like this, this transcendent thing came through, which again, speaking to that black sheep infiltration quality, when you think of metal like, uh, you know, the symbol for it is oftentimes like a skull, you know, like a skeleton that's kind of like, Gah! but what they're doing is more like life metal or like alchemical metal. Mm. And and their symbol of the skeleton was Alex Gray's artwork, which is kind of the illuminated death, right. you know, like the kind of like the, the realization of death as, as, as life process. That's the process of realizing that we are already gone but are slowly coming to that realization. Wow. And that's a potent, that's a potent soil right there. Cause if all of this is just like an infinite loop and I don't mean like a reincarnation in the sense, that kind of loop where it's like you, you loop through different lives, but I mean like a, a, almost like a ground hogs day kind of loop. Um, like, have you heard of the cheating the ferryman theory? Yeah, uh, this guy, please Anthony, yeah, talk about that. Yeah. So this guy, Anthony Peake, he wrote a number of books. Um, and the, the main thesis is cheating the ferryman, which is the idea that, that death is like a scientific impossibility and that death is something that happens to other people. And to further explain that, which you have to when you say something like that, uh, think of like when you go through a uh, – Event horizon. Well, like when was the last time you went through an event horizon, uh, 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 Mike? When <laughs> yeah. was the last time you went through a black hole, right? you remember? Well, what happens when you go through a black hole is that to you, you're actually entering it and going through that like uh, uh, 2001 infinity and beyond moment. Mm-hmm. But to anybody outside of that that sees you, it looks like your vessel is just kind of like hovering right in front of it. Like it stands still. Uh, because of, I guess, the warping of time and gravity and whatnot. But this is how it's explained. But the idea of dying is the exact opposite, where whereas on the outside, we see people going through that event horizon and see them dying. In their experience, they actually remain alive because what happens is that this like life review gets triggered. And the life review is actually a playback of your life in real time in those like 10 minutes of dream time. And as it plays back, it now has an extra layer where the person living through the experience, which he calls the edelon, which is like the image or the avatar, uh, and 
has this extra layer of the daemon, which is kind of the higher self or the self that's already lived this life. And then as it goes through it now, when certain things come along, for instance, like critical moments, this thing chimes in and remembers, for instance, that when you went into that store, you tripped and fell on your face and like broke your nose and it goes, watch your step. And all of a sudden there's this awareness and you do things differently and it branches off in a different way. So it creates this kind of like infinite scape. But the idea behind it is that it's kind of instead of a reincarnation, I think of it as a reincantation. It's like a cover song of your life. You get to do it slightly different, kind of like what we've been talking about here, too, about the reiteration and retelling of a tale, the the um, the reversing, the versing anew of a tale. And the beauty of that philosophy to me is kind of encapsulated in the line from Casablanca where they say we'll always have Paris which is the idea that we'll always have these moments like for instance this conversation will always be here along these coordinates of space and time along these coordinates of its actuation these moments are always preserved like we're recording this episode but we're also recording this moment so that in our little life review, we can come back around to this and reiterate this awareness in this moment, which gives me a lot of solace because any other philosophy of death that I look at, there is a sense of loss. But, I, you know, I have a cat who I love and who got very sick last year, and uh, I ended up going deep into vet debt to keep her alive. But the when I have these moments with her, when I realize mortality and that one day this furry little feline will no longer be around i feel i cherish the moments that we do have together for that very reason that these moments are always preserved and it's i'll see you in the next loop kind of thing and so if we imbue each loop and each moment with that kind of attention and awareness um well then we get to live that forever you know wow and we get to actually store that in the repositories of eternity wow and it's like this impermanence this sort of fleeting impermanence that's running in the wheels of, of eternity. That is so cool, man. I And it's again, the metaphor that I was bringing of language as kind of like dead thoughts that are revived. It's like every moment that passes is past. But if we do loop back around, it's almost like one of those player pianos with the sheet music going through it, it comes back alive, right? And maybe you can play it slightly differently or with a little more feeling next time or a little more, yeah. And next time is this time. Next time is this time. Because there is no next time. There's always this time. Fuck. This is blowing my mind, man. <laughs> I hope it's not blowing it out of proportion. Uh, do you think that like deja vu has some, is, is in here somewhere? It, it is. Yeah. He definitely plays into, into that stuff a lot as well as this kind of like, and I, and the reason I resonated with his work Insofar as I haven't read all of his books, I, I, I've read a couple of them and I've basically like kind of extracted the theory in, so that I can reiterate it in my own words and in my own way. Um, but deja vu, I always considered it as kind of this like recognition of eternity. This like, oh, I remember this. Oh, I remember now. Yeah, I remember now. And that's kind of what he goes for, too. It's that moment when you're like in tools words, feels like I've been here before, seems so familiar. Or in another Tool song, so good to see you, I've missed you so much. It's that moment of like return, uh, but in a way that's like a brain fart. 
<laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that is such a common through line in 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 psychedelic experiences. Is this? Re- it's a remembering and a feeling of something familiar that we can't quite grasp, but you just intuitively know. There's this kind of felt sense of knowing. And it becomes hard to articulate, but that's where I guess a lot of art comes in is like, it's trying to sort of transmute. Maybe, maybe that's where the same art comes in too. <laughs> Each time. Sense of remember, danger. remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This looks like that. Wait, this is my, this isn't my deja vu. This is Alex Gray's deja vu. Why am I having this? It's uh, called Alex Gray's deja vu. Deja vu's as other people. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Alex, what did you say? Alex Gray's deja vu? <laughs> <laughs> that's when he paints the same painting over and over again which also are like reimaginings of the same theory that he's refining you know like I, I i feel like i need to kind of um redact myself a little bit and again like reiterate that i love the man's work oh i love I him too yeah brilliant and i think that it is you know when i say things like he's a slave to his own vision or he like reiterates the same painting it's of course it's also like that's the part we're going to clip for the podcast highlight it's, yeah it's on the social media and tag uh cosm it's the perfection of 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 that that thing that he's trying to bring across so no i to- i totally know what you mean i i hope that comes across because i i'm right there with you like i you know and i and i found my i found myself in those it's 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 so it's so strange it's almost like you spend your life trying to find something that works and then when you find something that works it's almost like you don't necessarily want to bail out of it you know almost it's like well this is i i got something that works here i got something that's moving i got something that's speaking to people that that is you know inspiring people and you know sometimes you know we've all seen that that happen i, I it comes to mind with musicians like oh this is this, their 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 last album like oh tame and paula's new album sucks their last album was so much better. They, they totally diverted from this whole thing. It's like, yeah, they're they're taking risks. They're like trying to right. grow and expand. Yeah. Why would you want the same thing? And it's funny because that's what I feel Tool started doing. And like the last album, I hear it's a masterpiece, but I haven't been able to tap it because it felt like this kind of like this like deja vu. This like reiteration, it's like 13 years have passed. And it's like, it seems like in those 13 years, they were like noodling around. They're like, hey, this sounds like a Tool riff. You know what I mean? And they were kind of like, they were reiterating their whole catalog and synthesizing it into wholeness. But uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stop right there before any tool fans come with their pitchforks. <laughs> and, um, but I hear it's a masterpiece and I hope that one day I'll be able to tap into it at the right time. But for me, it felt very much that since Lateralis, there has been this kind of like, we found our thing and we're going to keep reiterating this where I felt like Maynard went off with Pussifer and Pussifer and went, um, way deeper and wider in the explorations of the, his, his myriad self image. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of want to get, get back to what you were talking about with the loops and, and time and, yeah. and death, because I've just, I feel like, like, I think about death a lot. I think about life a lot. I mean, I, I sort of am always just, interested in these big metaphysical questions, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting because 
I find myself in this place and you know, who does a good job at communicating this kind of existential uh, conflict within is Ramin Nazer with his little comics. Like he's always oh, sort of, yes. yeah. He's, so, so simplify, he's able to just like distill it to this very simple, but very poignant and striking and comedic and cosmic and contemplative. Yeah. And it's Not- like those thought bubbles are sort of the bubbles in my head sometimes where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm like, now's the time. Like, everything matters. Like the moment is everything I got to create. I got to put out more. And then it's like, no, no, you just got to relax and chill and enjoy and flow. And, you know, Kurt Vonnegut said, look, being alive is just to fart around and he's smart and that's what I should do. And, you know, so it's like, (laughs) it's this conflict. So it's like, how do you deal with like the metaphysical reality of being and your relation to reality as an artist and as a human. (laughs) Yeah. By constantly um, creating and recreating, you know, to, to keep renegotiating my place in it and keep renegotiating my views of it in, in new and renewed and reviewed ways, you know? So like constantly, and sometimes not constantly, sometimes to just like let it go or let it be or, you know, get lost in the struggle of trying to make rent or trying to, uh, you know, getting lost in my ego or in my struggles or in my like uh, my, my pity, pitiful worries that, you know, I cling to because I'm afraid they're not going to last forever. And I want to, you know, really like spend quality time with them, <laughs> like, you know, the chatty demons that keep me up at night. Uh, yeah. What are they so saying? Yeah, yeah. What are those chatty demons? Uh, that's uh, just like personal stuff, just like nagging away at, at all the big, the big things, the, the little big things in life, you know, like uh, career based things, love based things, just like all the, all the stuff that keeps people up at night. And especially in this time, you know, in like uh, very limited social interactions and, um, limited possibilities it's you know they they got a lot to say and you know the uh, they're very um good at at reiterating and rehearsing their lines over and over until they kind of halo my head like a uh, a, a loop of astral detritus like an asteroid belt around my head that constantly wears away until the thought is like perfected and then they'll just like chant that in unison until i can finally fall asleep so yeah i mean these are all ways that we we deal with it but there's there's a beautiful line that i want to i want to plug this band called villagers this irish band they don't sound like they're an irish band or nothing but they are from ireland um they have a song called everything I am. And there's the chorus is so beautiful because the lines are left my demons at the door. What you opening it for guess they'll help you understand everything I am, which I find such a beautiful thing. You know, like I consider myself a shadow worker more than a light worker, not to say that I don't do light work or hard work, but I, there's, there's a constant, uh, acknowledgement of the shadow and constant, um, you know, digging through that, that, you know, I, I keep my demons close and I keep my, uh, my angels close as well, but, uh, keep a good balance. It's like, like Werner Herzog said, he's like, the poet must not avert his gaze. He must look at the beautiful as well as the ugly. <laughs> and if you're Werner Herzog, you must always swallow a consonant or two. Yeah. Thank you, Werner. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It's, I mean, I, I, 
I feel like I'm plagued by that as well. You know, it's just this, and it keeps me in this sort of, uh, paralysis almost of, you know, that, debilitating. Yeah. Oh, like I want to, I, I feel that there's something bubbling and, and, you know, fermenting at the edge and I want to get there. But then, yeah, the, this sort of like, I guess, shadow side, I think you, you spoke to it a little bit before too, about this idea, you know, I'll give you an example of, of kind of my perception of things where I was like, yeah, man, I'm just going to do the podcast. Like, I'm just going to keep it raw. I'm just going to keep it real. Like, I'm just going to fucking, you know, just, I'm just going to, you know, whatever, just put it out, man. And fucking who gives a shit if people like it or they don't like it. I'm just, this, this is what I do. And then it's like, this is like this, this thing where it's like, well, what, what are you doing? Like, what is this? Is this like a, what are you you're trying to make some kind of like rebel statement, man? Like, what is this? What are you doing? I'm like limiting myself by this kind of shadows overtaking vision of what I think or how I perceive myself. Like, does that make sense? Like it's, it's, it's the negrado in, uh, in alchemy, you know, it's like the shit that you have to distill and synthesize into gold one way or another. So it becomes, it's like this eclipse. And I, I very much felt it that way last night. There was a moment where it kind of like the dark cloud kind of like parted and then like a couple of raindrops of inspiration and, and inspiring thoughts that I caught came through. And in that moment of glimpsing that, I was like, oh, wow, this this thing that I'm like, that's like nagging me is very much like eclipsing the best of me. Don't let the worst of me get the best of me, you know, and let me let me seek counsel with this shadow and listen to it to see why it's there and what it has to tell me and what it is that I'm not facing up to. And like I said, it keeps reiterating the same thoughts also in a kind of loop that's refining itself. And over time, when I catch kind of like the nuggets of them, I try to journal it out just to, to kind of purge it from my pen, you know? And, or in this case, I'll type it into my phone, of course, to like, you know, catch it in my little Ghostbuster <laughs> portal um, so that it's, that it's trapped in there. And I don't, they don't have to, it's like, okay, I hear you. I'm going to put you in here now. And then like, okay, like what else we got going until I can see the thought more clearly and understand it. And then I can weigh it in esteem and judge it whether based on its merits or not and say like, is this true? Is this just something I'm projecting onto the situation? Is this about what I think it's about? Or is this actually something else that's like cross wiring? It's, it's reference. Like for instance, like if you're projecting onto a person or something like that, you know, then it's like, okay, is that true about this person? Or is this just something that's going on in me that has references to other instances in my life that I'm now, transposing onto this situation. So it really is, I'd say, you know, seek counsel from your demons and turn them into daemons because that's maybe what it is. It might be that that light trying to get through, but, you know, we, we, we block ourselves from that. Like we are, we cast our own shadow and shadows are cast by light, right? right? So it's like, maybe we need to step aside to be able to better shower yeah. in, in that light. Yeah, so there's there's probably some kind of our uh, yeah, like you were saying, like tran- like the alchemical trans, you know, making that. Um, what am I trying to say? I'm not saying anything now. I'm just saying things. Making sound. Yeah, I'm just making sound. sounds and visuals, folks. Um, the they're, they're what I'm saying is their vibration of thing is kind of like uh, vibrations that's vibes. That's the only buzzword. The uh, only actual buzzword. Vibration. Yeah. Um, 
there must be some kind of value, I guess. And, and so like by, by ha- like you would think like, oh, why do I have this sort of thing that's happening to me that's sort of seemingly creating this eclipse? But then it's like when you lean into it, as you were saying, doing that shadow work, then something comes at it's almost it's almost like this sort of propulsion forward a little bit right into what you're saying you're saying the word values which in painting of course values are the different gradients and tones and 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 the different shades of gray you know what i mean so yeah if you're looking into this darkness and you find the values in there you realize that they're various shades they're not it's not just darkness but if you you can kind of like glimpse and I mean, this is abstract, of course, like maybe you can transpose this into an actual situation. But if you, if you can see the different gradients, you can map your way through the shadows to the light or you can, you know, map. I have this poetic line that, that comes to me that I wrote once, um, which kind of applies to this. It's no, we do not proceed moth minded into the flame with thoughts of flutter. We map the light in shades of self and other. Wow. Which again plays onto the the self portraits as other people, you know, the, yeah. uh, which also has its its multiple meanings because it's on the one hand it's like what we're doing now is kind of a self portrait as other people, like you're having a conversation with me as like uh, an avatar of yourself, another Michael, who is like bringing things to the forefront and you're bringing things to the forefront in me, and we're like creating self portraits as each other, right? Like in the synthesis, but it's also obviously in my in the actual, like you've heard the solo episodes, in the actual episodes, there's a lot of, um, I do these intros that are very, very intricately soundscaped and have like multiple parts of myself sometimes step in and like um, criticize myself or like help me explain myself and, and things like that. So it's also that kind of self and other self-portrait as other people going on. And it's the kind of Vedantic to bring it back to Alan Watts, the kind of... Um, I'm sure you've read the, the book on the taboo against knowing who you are. I haven't which is, actually. Oh, oh my God. That's, yeah. that's like the, the best, the first chapter called inside information is pivotal because it's, it's basically the Vedanta philosophy, which is like uh, the idea that, that God as the universe, as like the, uh, the, the lonely as the one and only thing in existence plays hide and seek with itself by casting itself into many different entities in order to uh, map its way back into that oneness to find itself. But it's like an actor that gets so lost in role play. Sound familiar? Uh, that, that it, that it forgets that it is that, you know, it's this like amnesiac state. And um, so that's the other like self portraits as other people is that kind of like solipsistic mysticism or what I call solipsistic solidarity the idea that we want to share and converse with each other because the thing that separates us is our personas, personas through sound mm. because we're like the ventriloquist source. Like right now it's coming through my moving lips and it's it's like uh, projecting towards you. And then when you speak, it's coming from that place. So the sound is the thing that actually separates us, but it's also the thing that again becomes the bridge of connection. So that's like the persona idea which used to be um, a, a persona was like a mask with a megaphone as a mouthpiece that was used in like the greek amphitheaters and now that's like our our, our performative personalities are personas as well yeah and it's like personas on top of personas on top of personas like i feel like the more that you move 
Personas all the way down. <laughs> yeah, Personas exactly. Personas are the new turtles. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Collect the whole set. <laughs> no <Well>, necks. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to like tie everything that we talked about back in, all the little riffs and bits yeah totally man collect the whole set um i've heard alan watts talk about that I, i'm gonna read that book uh i haven't read it I, i've i've listened to a lot more alan watts than i have read i think the only book that i've read of his is uh, uh the wisdom of insecurity i actually have mm-hmm. that that book that i've read of his because again i love his voice so much it brings what he's saying alive so much more so i've, I've heard him talk about that and I, I i i believe that i feel like that that is uh before i ever read before i ever heard terrence mckenna before there was youtube and all that stuff i would read transcripts that's how i got familiar with his ideas and his theories but before i could ever actually hear the man speak and recite his words so lively and it was the same with alan watts but i love listening to alan watts as well because he also has such a way with words and such a way with worlds that he can that he can bend Uh, like for instance in that book when he's talking about that vedanta philosophy and the idea that you know we are these universal motions he's like you are not the universe you are not uh, a man walking you are the universe manning walking yeah or like, right it's not an eagle flying in the sky that's the sky eagling right you know like i i love that the same way and uh, a tree grows apples and earth peoples <laughs> yeah that's, that's good dude you should definitely isolate that a little bit and put that on your you have an impression reel uh, Dude, you're, you're you're Alex Jones. Oh, kills. Thanks. Yeah, I, I love that. Dude. Well, you know, we're talking about all this. Me- I've smoked the DMT, folks. I have smoked the DMT. Joe Rogan doesn't know about the entities. <laughs> yeah, I I do. Yeah, I do. I I like to. I I don't have like a reel, but I do. Um, like for a little while, I was doing like uh, just like the face mask kind of thing on Snapchat and stuff, like where you can mm-hmm. put your face. So I did like him. I did. Uh, you know, Trump. I'll do like a a Trump. I haven't done a Trump in a while, but like Alex Jones, one of my greatest, greatest fans, tremendous guy, great guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, big head, very big head, very huge head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that uh, I it's fun and it's just this 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 idea of like, of yeah, of like becoming another node of consciousness another embodying another formation of reality almost in its totality like when you did when you do the voices and when you do the robert de niro face that you were doing like you literally are like becoming that person well that that's the that's the weird thing about it is that it, it's funny because people can look at things from like kind of a materialist point of view the same with like a painting they can say like oh that's just paint rearranged on a surface but from my perspective it's like a window that's opened into the beyond which is really like the back of your head you know like it's this loop of like out through your eyes to the back of your head back out through your eyes and the same with with doing voices you can think of it's like oh he does a really good impression and does these voices but it's really like weighing the the pattern of a person because it's and that's what i see a lot like when people do like a mckenna impression they like go for the voice but it's really just finding the feeling with which he can deliver a certain message and finding the same cadence of compassion with which he was able to so passionately convey these ideas so that's to not step above people or even below them, but to meet them at eye level no matter where they were at. And it's almost like a Mr. Rogers quality to him, you know, which is a very similar voice. 
Wow. Yeah. 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 You're totally right about that. It is like finding the sort of like energetic persona that they embody and like wearing it as a mask or a suit over yourself and playing as that puppeteer for a little bit. Like it's totally fine. Because like even when I was doing the Trump, like I can only do the Trump if I do the hands, you know, if I do the hands or like um, – It's a full, full embodiment. Full embodiment. Yeah. Yeah. And like uh, Jordan Peterson is another guy I like to do too. And he has like this kind of, you know, it's hard. You got to wrestle with these ideas. They're very contentious. I, I explained this to Slavov Zizek. <laughs> well, you, 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 you see the way that he, he, he does it and he, and he does struggle with it quite a lot. Yeah. Right? And, and it's almost like he gets to this high octave because he gets so emotional about it oftentimes. But see, this is the problem with when you when you speak to another person and you become, say, like a, a Slovenly person, like a Slavoj Zizek, and you have to constantly touch your face, which, of course, in the age of Corona virus is not uh, ideal. It's like you 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 can almost feel the like. Oh, you, can you imagine what it would feel like to be that guy? Oh my you know, god! Like, yeah. You well, you're but probably getting time, a sense of it too when you're doing it. Somewhat right? of a yeah. sense, but there's also this kind of like playing around. It's almost like if if Zizek has a sense of self awareness about how, what a caricature of himself he is, and in that same sense, I try to find that in myself. Like when I take myself very seriously, or I find these different patterns, I try to like call myself out on it. In a way, it's like finding that. Um, in the in the malleability of the self or the abyss malleability of the self, we find these patterns uh, that we condition to like safely uh, identify or safely um, compose ourselves in the world, right? Mm. Which is ultimately in a psychedelic experience or any kind of healing setting, that's the thing we deconstruct and then put back together. So if you can rapidly upcycle that and keep that free then there's, I think, more room to literally breathe, not as like a lung, but as like full body breath. Mm. Um, yeah, but at like, the same time, it's also just like a, a fun game, which is the other thing. It's like all the things that seem to me very profound, I also recognize as being very inane and trivial in some ways, yeah. which is kind of the the beauty of it all. I think so. I definitely think so. I can't... You know, I think anybody that takes such a rigid, hard, sort of static stance towards this approach of life is, um, which is, you know, we all kind of maybe fall into that from here, you know, here and there time and again, where we have to sort of, you know, plug ourselves into the the mechanism of, of the world, so to speak. But man, it feels good to operate outside of that and just wiggle around and, and be fluid and, and loose and, and, you know, in the, in a kind of self transforming kind of way, you know? And, uh, yeah. So I was going to say that that's such an interesting term to me, the idea of like a self transforming machine elf, like, okay. Self transforming. Like this is something that transforms the self, these machine elves, these like bots, these like botanical bots that come to you for this extracted plant substance. Uh, there and that are actually doing the engineering of that fluidity. They're self-transforming in that they transform the self, but also 
they're self-transforming, like they themselves are the transformation. And again, it comes down to that mimicry and the mirror of the mind held up before you and interfacing with you, mm. transcendence in that same sense as the the interaction with the the visuals that you come across. It becomes this, and the Lilio Macau that I mentioned, this like seeing by becoming understanding by becoming that thing so if you have a mirror that is self-transforming then the only way to keep your mind focused on that is by kind of like juggling the letters in a kind of like embodied anagrammer where everything has to be constantly rearranged and uh, that's why you know don't give way to astonishment that idea of like pay attention, like breathe into it, stay with it, let it move through you. And that's why you come out of it feeling refreshed. It's like all your molecules have just been juggled by some ontological uh, juggler, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I mean, it's just that, that it gives it this kind of like gamification aspect. Like I, you can't help, but be like, you know, I think that's maybe where a lot of people experience a slight dose of terror is like, oh my God, everything is nothing and nothing is everything. And it's, it's just, it doesn't, it's, it's all transforming and moving and, it, and I'm not me. And, but it's everything it's, I held. So I held on to as true has now been uh, taken from me, you know, the, 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 the buoy on which you were afloat in this ocean of chaos just got punctured and yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like super easy to just surf that wave. You know, it takes, work and it takes like kind of like trust yeah trust a lot of trust right yeah, yeah. so in a, in there's, a there's this there's this oh, sorry to interrupt no no go yeah there's this quality in the the dmt experience that i often find at the um it's like threshold doses especially where these different fulcrum points like in the joints they begin to radiate a particular energy and a particular geometry that's almost like medusaic like uh like uh Medusa's serpentine hair is what I associated with because they're these kind of like, it's like a symbol of ingrown connectivity is how I describe it. It's like, imagine these like coils that like coil in on themselves and braid in on themselves so that it creates this finite space with infinite movement and infinite radiation. And you feel these spaces opening up. And it reminds me of like the Odyssey dance that they have in the East. If you ever seen that where they like, um, like they dance like Hindu gods and like every f part of the finger like moves separately. Every, every part that is separate, every joint, every little bit can move fluidly. And I was just, just thinking of it because when we're talking about being afloat in that ocean and riding that wave and your buoy getting punctured, it almost feels like these are like the little inflating wings, you know, that you'd wear as a kid in the swimming pool to stay afloat. It's almost like if you can trust this and sink into that sink float into that feeling it inflates not only these metaphysical buoys but it also inflates your sense of uh self-confidence and your sense of self-confidence mm -hmm. like the ultimate con man the ultimate confidence man is of course the higher self that you have to learn to trust even though it is a trickster right yeah totally i identify with that I... but know that it's trickery is ultimately leading you not to some kind of um Pickpocket, metaphysical pickpocketing, but leading you towards, you know, in the end, when you come back from an experience like a DMT experience, your pockets are filled with song. 
You know, they're filled with immaterial objects and the melody might still play out. And even though you can reach into those pockets and, and end up empty handed, you know that your heart has just been filled with with a universe, you know, with a, a, a singular language, a singular poetry that ties all things together. Wow. This moment has been brought to you by DMT. Come see me after the show, folks, and we'll uh, hook you up. I do not sell DMT, just <laughs> to be clear. I'm just joking. All right. Thank Dimethyltryptamine. Act now for nineteen ninety nine a month. You can get a limited time injection. <laughs> um, We're not far, we might not be far away from that, huh? I mean, get your vape pens, get your vape pens. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like I, I don't know, like, I, yeah, I would, I would, I would mind that. Um, I, I was just thinking of like, of like, for some reason, the thought that was coming in my mind was just uh, like having an intravenous DMT injection and just like sitting in like a pod and just like being there for like forever mm-hmm. <laughs> and just being like, all right, I'll just go live here now, like that in that in this place. I think that will happen somewhere at the uh, at the reiteration point of the life cycle, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were talking about like cheating the the ferryman, and then this thing just came uh-huh. to my mind where my friend said that doing uh, sometimes it's almost like cheating the uh, like taking from like the death world or the afterworld. Like we're like borrowing some time when we go into those those places. Like borrow bar- borrow time from the bardo. Yeah, borrowing time from the bardo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, McKenna would talk about uh, you get five minutes to plunder the palace. (laughs) (laughs) But it is it is kind of because it is like it's a dilation of time, like any psychedelic experience, you know, time moves differently, just like in dream space or in that, you know, allegedly, hypothetically in that death space, you know, the brain lives on for like 10 minutes in which hypothetically DMT gets released or something else that triggers this life review or triggers this kind of like uh, transcendental elevator shaft like that mercabalistic portal i was talking about earlier uh and yeah and it's a dilation of time so within like 10 minutes you get to experience basically eternity yeah which is a hell of a long time yeah yeah it is and then and then when you come back you're you're like kind of you have to readjust a little bit or maybe a lot of bit uh yeah or it can like like for me coming back from those spaces there is this because it's like every trace of that realm is removed it's like somebody just like completely etch a sketched reset a sketched that whole playing field and there's nothing left of it except for what you remember but it's already fading like i said like that melody can still be heard but it's fading so i immediately will start speaking or writing to try and condition i'm also like a a very vivid dreamer and always have been and have created techniques with which to bring back dreams. And one of them uh, is oftentimes in my dreams, if there's a camera in the dream, I pay closer attention. I kind of snap into awareness because I realize something important is happening for it to be recorded. And then there's usually another layer of the dream where I review it with somebody and I, I describe what I'm seeing in it. And then by the time I make it to the surface, at least the descriptions will survive if the rest of it doesn't. So it's the same thing with the DMT experience. There's a constant uh, hyper-awareness and mapping, however erratically, and then coming back with those things and kind of like reconstructing them, even though I know that every expression is a form of deception and alteration and distortion, at least, you know, in the same sense that, again, like the Alex Gray paintings, 
people are like, oh, yeah, I've seen that place. And it's like, yeah, on the one hand, it's true because it reflects that thing. But it's also been tiled over by human symbols and earthly symbols that, you know, again, in that space might not be as concrete. Like the chakras aren't a funfair totem that you slam the mallet on until it goes ding at the top. They aren't little plastic colorful flags that wave in the wind but also in a sense they are like that yeah yeah it's like a like a hollywood stage yeah yeah it's like a real it's like a biopic you know (laughs) and i was i was joking when we talked uh the last time about going into the dmt realm and then out alienating the alien oh right and i go (laughs) and then they're like oh who's this guy and now I've got this lawsuit going out in the astral. Like, yeah. So then after that, they co-opted my image and they started using it in their visionary arts. And uh, now I'm suing them for all their worth. And, uh, you know, they're trying to I'm trying to get as many of those uh, those Fabergé eggs from Mars that McKenna would talk about. Right. He said, if you can bring one of these things back, the world would never be the same. And I figured out those things are pods to be cast into the world. So I'm trying to get as many of those pods cast into the world uh, at the end of this lawsuit. So uh, uh, <laughs> Google versus DMT realm. <laughs> it's one of the new, new, uh, the state of DMT people. realm versus yeah. The ungoogleable Michelangelo <laughs> in the court of lore. Yeah. But yeah, it's the constant fictionalization of, of the ultimate reality is kind of what we exist in. And when people say we live in a simulation, that's always how I think of it. It's like, again, that like prison sentence, we're like sentenced to the prison of the viewing things through the prism of mind mediated by symbol systems and by, um, by this constant spiritual fictionalization of what cannot be, spoken of what is ultimately ungoogliable, what is ultimately unquantifiable. Yeah. I heard you say, talk about something in reference to, I think your, your work where you said it's uh arto biographical works of spiritual fiction. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the way I've started to kind of relate to it. Cause it is um, like I was saying, I'm kind of putting it together in this sort of like almost like graphic novel quality where, you know, the artwork which is to me like a visual music because it's more about the sensation of seeing than it is about like concrete visual reality. Um, and that's like informed through the words as well. So it's like, it's, it's autobiographical, but it's also a distorted work of art with actual like artworks worked into it and autobiographical and then spiritual fiction, I think is Saul Williams has a, has a line about that. Um, Mind over matter, as if minds create matter, mind creates matter as a matter of fact. And if matter is fact, spirit must be fiction, metafiction, science fiction, art fiction, something like that, which always struck me as very poignant. The idea that spirituality is the fiction that we relate to in in how we see the world. If matter is the fact, then which is why there are so many different spiritual outlooks in the world, because there are different fictions that try to different myths that try to approximate this thing. That's very difficult to, or actually impossible yeah. to, Una- to unapproximatable. Yeah. 
because it is it is flux it is change so how are you going to like pin that down except through like mythology which is like living language in a way but there's also parts of mythology where the myth stands alone and where the where the metaphor strays from what it seeks to symbolize which is i think where we live as humans which is why the 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 world of human artifice this kind of theater that we've created, that we exist in, this thing called civilization, this thing that's crumbling right now, because unlike Burning Man, we forgot to burn it down at the end of the week and rebuild it with the things we've learned. It becomes calcified. It's like they talk about calcifying the pineal gland. It's like we're calcifying the earth in this sense and our own liberation. And I mean, maybe there's no way around it because it's it's how we how we how we live. You know, it's how you know it's how we do things now. But um, Wow, I completely lost my point again in my own. Dude, that was great. Yeah, no, I was totally following along with what you were saying because I 100% agree with that. Like, you know, you have to. The myth myth strays from the story. It's like the the, the human world is an analog of the natural world. Right, right. right. When we build boats, the the oars are based on the fins of fish. You know, uh, the high rises are like anthill towers or termite towers, like everything that we've created, we've co-opted kind of from the natural world. We've reverse engineered it. Like cities are like bodies and sewage is like, you know, the internal plumbing of the body. That's, but at the same time, there's this, this, this straying from what it's, because this, this is the problem with consciousness is that it, well, one of the problems with consciousness is that it, um, it creates analogs, you know, in order to understand something, we make it familiar. So we actually replace it with something that's like it, but this can also go astray. Like a few hundred years ago, we thought the heart was like a kettle. So when people got sick and the heart is overheating, we thought we'd let off steam and that's where bloodletting came from. And then people died because the heart is like a kettle, but it is not a kettle. Not everything gets carried over. And I think this is where, like Alan Watts talks about this idea of like eating paper currency. It's like mistaking the metaphor for the thing it's trying to, it's, you know, the finger pointing at the moon mm-hmm. kind of analogy, which even the moon itself is not the be all and end all. Cause the moon is pointing at the sun. It's a nightlight to reflect daylight. And the sun itself is like a symbol for the soul, you know, or for like life force. So like, there's this constant like referencing. It's almost like um, the, the meta mystery is uh we've got you surrounded you know it's like all the metaphors like, surrounded <laughs> it, trying, like, catch bounce their beams between mirrors in order to capture the thing and then they realize they're just it's like reservoir dogs they've all got their guns pointed at each other in the end oh, but don't pull that trigger man you know what i mean because you're not going to hit the target you're just going to self-annihilate and that's i think what happens when we we stray away from um yeah, whatever from whatever I was saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when we get we get like maybe like lost in the in the game of of replicating and duplicating and and trying to sort of order and organize and box up our little pieces of reality to keep in in permanence and to put on the altars and you know display them and say, well, look at this grand thing and look at yeah. how I will live on for for eternity and the, with these monuments and these statues and. Yeah. yeah, as living as living literature, you know, as like minds that are mythologized through language, we take things literally. Yeah, oftentimes 
and we lose touch. We lose feeling the with the with the sensual world, which is you know when um, which is how people can can lie and deceive. Is if you're only focusing on the words, and again, like comes down to like the idea of impressions, right? It's not just the voice that's coming through, but there's a whole tonality. That's that's really the the message. You know, like to say the, the medium is the message. It's like the person speaking is the medium, and like, do you feel me? Mm. Yeah, we'll say that. I feel you. I feel you. Like I love that because yeah. that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's not just like a heady trip. Like you want to like you want to like bounce that down to the heart a little bit as well. And the but another thing that's beautiful about like speaking like on a podcast is that the language is alive because the language is a part of the body. It's like a dog barking. It's like we're making sounds at each other. And I learned long before podcasting was a thing, like in 2002 when I was back in Amsterdam, uh, I started, I was recording everything around me constantly. And then I was playing back in order to like listen back to conversations, my own conversations, other people's conversations to better understand where the hallucination of mind ends and the reality takes over. So, which is to say, like, if there was an interaction, I wanted to see how it would sound afterwards without my mind's reeling through it. And at one point I met this, uh, this guy named Hanuman Das, who was this Hare Krishna who dressed like uh, a Hare Krishna pimp, who was like, uh, he looked like he was from the Matrix or something. He wore like a slick suit and dark sunglasses. And he was like very like sly and like, you just wouldn't trust this guy. He got kicked out of the Hare Krishnas for stealing books or something like that. But he was interesting because he was very like zealous about this mythology and about this religion and he wanted to share it. And of course, you know, peddle his books and sell you eternity. Uh, and so I, I invited him to my place and I recorded him in a conversation. And, you know, I was like, you know, trying to like reason with him and trying to like understand this thing. But when I listened back, I realized that none of that stuff was really happening. And it was just this void of violent sound. And he was just barking at me and he wasn't letting me speak. And he was constantly like reiterating his point, like transcendental sound vibrations. This is the way, this is how it must be done. There's only, and it was this kind of like, it's like, whoa, dude, I invited this demon into my house. And he was just like, totally like dominating this situation from this like animalistic place. And it gave me that insight into the the various tiers of conversation and the various tiers of communication that take place. Yeah, it was like he was like stuck on on one radio station frequency and only able to transmit, you know, and then he's just like, you know, that one thing. And you're like, hey, let's explore the entirety of this AM FM situation, and he can only play play one note or you know whatever. Like he, he would say, for instance, things like you know. Um, He's talking about the Vaikuntha Lokas, which is like the spiritual planets where uh, where Krishna lives, right? And he's like, in this world, if you say the word streetlight, the streetlight is still there. It, you know, you don't possess it on your, you don't possess the thing by saying the word. But uh, in eternity, in the Vaikuntha Lokas, if you say the word Krishna, he's already dancing on your tongue. And I was like, yeah, that's a beautiful metaphor. But I think what it's trying to symbolize is that, you know instead of using a word to signify the thing, the thing itself is the word and you are Krishna and the word is Krishna and the tongue is Krishna. And it's all like one thing in the same sense, I was born into this world nameless, but they had a name ready for me and they wrapped me up in it so that they could summon me and control me and refer to me. But the actual character, the actual name is this body. I'm embodied my name. I, it's not like I have a name. I am a name. 
call me by my face. You can't remember my name? Call me by my face. You know what I mean? So I was trying to like bring this point across, but he just wasn't hearing it because he was so like literally indoctrinated by this doctrine that he then became an extension of and and try to it's it's i think of it like a sickness that becomes a new norm you know it's like if you have like a belief or an idea it's like it's like a virus very much and if you're sick with it if you infect the whole world with it then it's no longer sickness it becomes reality it actually makes me think of this comedian drew michaels have you ever heard of him? yeah i know him yeah brilliant guy man just like super dark super introspective and reflective and he has this bit where he talks about that he has herpes and that this is something that people are it's very stigmatized people feel a lot of shame around it and he goes on this whole bit where he's like yeah but you know if you have it you don't have to worry about getting it so like you should all get it everybody should get it because then it's not a thing anymore then nobody has it <laughs> I feel like it's, that's a, you know that's a virus, and so are these these indoctrinated ideas. Even though you know there's beauty in Hinduism, there's beauty in Buddhism, in Christianity, in all of it. They're great stories, but uh, you know you, uh, that's why I like the the the, the Campbellian view, yeah, you know, of um, finding that that common denominator in all of it, and then trying to figure out what that is, what that references. And then trying to somehow atone and attune to that unquantifiable echo of infinity. Yeah, I, I I oftentimes think that if more people could, you know, find that, that we could, you know, sort of be harmonizing in a in a in a in a more attuned way, I guess, you know, in in our world, you know, we wouldn't have these things where you look at and go, what? Why is what is the point of this? Why is there so much of this careless, inefficient nonsense, this annoying bullshit aspect of, of living? I've always felt. It would be boring though, wouldn't it? I, heaven I, well, heaven is a place where nothing ever happens. Yeah, but not necess- not in this like utopian way, but more, you know, when I think of, when I think of a better world, I, I oftentimes think of like just, uh, more people sort of tuning into their authentic selves and and sort of you know following that path and whatever that. But maybe some people's authentic selves is to like you know throw a bunch of people in prison and lock them up there and laugh about it or something. You know, that's, I think I think that's a really powerful point that you're making. And again, it's that like you know the poet must not avert his gaze. You know, look at the beautiful and the ugly because they have to coexist. Hmm, yeah, I have I have this um, this idea about. Uh, I call it flogic. It's like flawed logic because logic can so easily mask itself as truth, even though it can so easily like harbor flaws. So I like to say my my flogic is lawless instead of my logic is flawless. The the so the idea of logic, right, of like syllogisms or something, is like you know um, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. Logical deduction. But what if you say uh, war? exists in order for peace to exist so peace is at the root of all war so we must wage war on peace in order to eradicate war that's logic but it's logic too you know because mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't actually make sense but in some way it kind of does but i feel like no matter what there's always going to be 
shadow. There's always going to be this dance because it's hide and seek, you know, it's lost and found. And that's part of the journey. Right. And on on that same LSD experience 37 years ago, uh, I, I had this this insight that dawned on me literally in the form of a light bulb over my head. Like I, I was, I was living in this old uh, dentist practice that I turned into a transcendentist practice that night. Uh, and it was in, in Amsterdam in what's known as an anti-squat, which is to say it was, this was this like three story building that was up for sale. And um, to keep squatters out, they kept anti-squat like legal squatters, me and my girlfriend, we, we lived in this place. And, during this trip, I walked through the dark hallway towards my atelier, towards my studio, uh, and the hallway was completely dark, but there was some light, like a horizon line of light seeping out from under the door that I was approaching. And this light was traveling almost like back in time, like through the hallway towards me and was starting to form into these like hallucinatory pillars of like ancestral guiding ghosts that were like ushering me into the space as if to like welcome me to some revelation. It's like, what is behind this door that shines forth this crescent of illumination? And I opened the door and the light floods and then adjusts and there was a light bulb hanging from the ceiling as light bulbs do right they illuminate rooms have you heard of them light bulbs (laughs) Um, but i had this weird feeling like but i could see in the dark why did we invent false illumination why did we why did we create an external light that now eclipses our inner light that displaces our inner light through this invention and then this like answer like synthesized itself which was that everything we create outside of ourselves is like this obstacle course it's like no this is a challenge can you find your inner light with false illumination around Mm. can you find can you not only glow in the dark but can you glow in the light and the notion that everything we create outside of ourselves is a symbol of something we've lost in ourselves but it reflects it back so that we can re-internalize that. And at the time, I didn't understand what I even meant by that. It seemed very deep and it seemed poetic. But as time has progressed since then and technology has progressed, it makes a lot of sense when you start seeing cell phones getting smaller to the point that maybe at some point it becomes like, you know, this little computer that uh, becomes, you know, implanted in the brain so that we go back to this back, if there ever was such a time, to this kind of like, time of the telepophone, you know, where like minds are, are, are mediated through like, uh, nonverbal communication, even though I think language itself, as McKenna has also iterated is a telepathic communication tool. Um, I feel like it's also like a crutch that we're using in order to attune to each other's minds, but there might come a time when this bridge that we've built between minds can fall away and we can learn to walk on water, which yeah. is to say communicate effortlessly again, but maybe mediated through technology, which is scary because again, that kind of stuff can be co-opted by whatever uh, agenda is in charge. Right. But it might just also help us see those reminders to get back to what we really want. And that's that, yeah. you know, kind of winning the game of hide and go seek, I guess, just to finish up and play another round. Right. And if you think of it, like, like, like the invention of the internet might just make 
the masses more aware of what, for instance, mycelium are. Right. How do you explain mycelium to people that don't know the internet? It, well, you can explain it probably, but it's so much easier now yeah. when you think of it, like that hyper. That's how I explain it. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe at some point, all this stuff, like it seems like there is one stream of thought, this kind of like futurist idea, right? That we're like moving towards this like techno singularity. But what if all this is just a mirror that we're holding up that ultimately it's it it should, if should is the word, be a return to the land, you know, a return to the earth and a return to the, the kind of biological technologies upon which all this stuff that we've extracted, the, the, the truth we've extracted like a tooth, you know, we have to put it under our pillow and uh, wait for the tooth fairy to come around to, you know, wish it all away. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 Sorry, oh no, I was just going to say that like what, when you're saying that, like it's, it's reminding me of, I was watching this thing about the new Dune movie that's coming out, you know, and I, I, I never read the book. I saw the movie, but apparently there were these like robot wars and, and they sort of outlawed robots and cyborgs and stuff. So by doing that, like evolution didn't have this other place to go into they could didn't have this other place to insert itself into the robot or the technical world so people's developed people went in more and developed more supernatural powers and and things like that things that maybe we look at as being these kind of shamanic uh, tools and stuff more of those people kind of awoke and it, into their powers and and that sounds pretty pretty cool to me i like i like the way that sounds definitely yeah i think i was thinking also of that uh that Black Mirror episode where the, I don't know if you saw this one, but the, the husband dies yes. and she's, she's given this like technology where from all his emails and interactions and things like that, they were able to synthesize this kind of AI voice of him so she can chat with him. And then they later like synthesize him as an actual like replica of himself, but with this kind of like Google mind where he's now like a better lover because he's able to like source because there was no record of what kind of lover he was. So they just sourced from different, you know, histories. Um, and I was thinking about this recently because, you know, my mother who's in the Netherlands and who I communicate with through WhatsApp mostly, she recently started all of a sudden communicating in memes. And this was never a thing. Like there was this like flood of memes and they became like really like flooding me to the point where I was like, hey, these some of these are really funny, but can we like tone it down a little bit? because it's kind of overwhelming. And I kind of like, especially in this Corona time, I feel like I need more of like personal interaction. Like, how are you doing? Uh, and then she like kind of barraged this to show what was behind the memes. It's like, this is how we communicate. But behind every meme, there is like anxiety. And there is like, she was very like anxious about everything that was happening. And I got this whole like barrage of like her fears and, and uncertainties about this time and how strange it is. And as this was happening, I kept thinking, like, my mom is an AI. This is just, like, the co-opting of her voice from different interactions. And then there's, like, this meme wall. It's, like, she's speaking in emojis all of a sudden. Like, that doesn't seem like – it's, like, my mom has become this, like, AI personality. But, <laughs> and then I speak to her through video chat. Like, you could be an AI because we're just mediated through the screen and this could be, like, some – you know, replication. It's so much easier to swap people for their doubles during this time when we don't see the <laughs> actual person. So beware, people. Uh, the Zoom Zoo might not be peopled with people. It might just be uh, 
something else. I, I feel like that's going to be a thing that people are going to start doing is like, we're going to be living more in this like virtual Zoom world. So they're going to like have some kind of program that you could like deep fake program an AI, a hologram or something. And it'll just, it'll be there so that you can like go work on something else that you can drive yourself mad with being busy about something else. <laughs> that's interesting, man. It's like by location bifurcation that's going on then yeah that's kind of like multiplicity right but, multiplicity uh, yes yeah. that's weird yeah it's a weird thing to consider but yeah it might happen i was it's funny too because i consider myself kind of like a deep fake in that sense of like these impressions or these like <laughs> facial emulations of different people it kind of becomes like uh organic deep fake which also that's another the, to get back to that moment again of like the re-internalization of technologies if you think about it um like with electronic music, like there wasn't there wasn't really beatboxing until maybe like sometime earlier in the 20th century, I imagine. Maybe there was some kind of like vocal percussion back in Africa or whatever, but it's changed a lot. And especially with like electronic music, like all of a sudden people are like, <laughs> like these kinds of things that we never would have emulated before. But I think of that also as this like re-internalization or this like mirror that pushes us to like become to learn from the the robots we've created oh to yeah our our biological understandings you know like the things just like when you if you have a kid that kid becomes your teacher and so similarly with my creations they become the mind manifestors and the teachers and so also our technologies are again like these uh feedback loops yeah yeah accelerate our own understanding or do the opposite, right? And make us dumber so that now we can only take a right turn if Siri tells us to go right. You know, like we don't know where the hell we are. We're just like completely um, displaced by the, the technological. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's both. Yeah, it's like, um, I think it's the, I think Marshall McLuhan says, we invent the tools and the tools invent us. You know, nice. that's, that's like his uh, staring into the abyss yeah 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 yeah. his his bit yeah his, i'd love to be like one versus nietzsche <laughs> yeah five minute battle <laughs> yeah um well dude this has been awesome man i feel like i could keep talking to you for hours and hours but i feel like you probably want to maybe take a nap or something right like take an app why would I take an app? <laughs> You're crazy, dude. You're crazy. Build an just app about, for naps. Just talking about being real and you're telling me to take an app? The app will inform the real nap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, my phone is doing the sleeping for me right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, man, this has been a blast. I'm really glad we did this. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so you have um uh, a bunch of places where people can go. Tell them all the places and go to and go check out the ungoogleable Michelangelo. Ungoogleable. I, I swallowed a couple of those uh, uh, letters there, uh, Michelangelo. And um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to keep uh, keep rapping with you and and uh, the isolation tanks and and maybe we'll do this again too. And and just uh, all of the, the the art that you produce and the music and everything is just great. So yeah, tell the tell, tell the folks. Go to voidandimagination.com. Uh, that's where you find all writings, audio of writings, music, films, artwork, uh, just everything. Everything's there. And then I also would love to plug my Patio Ryan play page. If you go to patreon.com slash voiddenizen, V-O-I-D-E-N-I-Z-E-N-I-Z-E-N-I-Z-E-N-I-Z-E-N-I-Z-E-N-I-Z-E-N-I-Z-E-N-I-Z-E-N-I-
D-E-N-I-Z-E-N. That's where you could, uh, you know, join my cult. Uh, Don't worry, it's not a cult yet. Um, And yeah, there's going to be like some exclusive materials uh, going in there. And even if you just do it for like a buck a month, your name gets entered into a raffle and you can win stuff every month. So it's kind of like scratch lottery ticket. Uh, So it's a win-win situation. And the other thing is um, check out self-portraits as other people in my podcast anywhere that pods are cast and, you know, do the whole subscribe, rate, review, blah, 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 blah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I, I think that's just, uh, it's great. I'm glad you plugged your Patreon because I think that it's a important service, you know, any way that we can, we feel that, uh, you know, we resonate with what other people are doing and saying and what other people are creating, you know, unfortunately we don't live in a world where we have like, you know, government subsidies, like going to individual artists and things like that. So, you know, fund what you love, fund what you like to see more of in the world. I'm a big believer in that. I'm starting to do more on Patreon and I'm also, I like to maybe things that I wouldn't put out in the public sphere necessarily. I could give to like my patrons who are like the, the, um, uh, producers of of me in a way you know and like the believers my cult and and your cult so the the my cult uh cult <laughs> uh but yeah man this was awesome uh yeah everyone thanks so much for listening till next time Well, I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you guys did too. Please check out those links that I put in the show notes. And uh, yeah, just everything is in the show notes. So you can go and you can click on there. If you want to leave a five-star rating and review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, you can go and support the show. That way, you uh, just click the link in the show notes that I have. It'll take you right there. Laid it all out. Made it really easy for you. And, um, you know, if you don't feel like doing that, but you like the show, just tell people about it. Share it. Like. Subscribe. Let's make sure to spread uh, these ideas around. And uh, if you want to go a step further, you can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank, or you can search Mike Adelic or Mike Adelic Podcast on Patreon and become a patron and select the tier membership that you want and get access to bonus episodes, get access to the Mike Adelic Inner Sanctum Discord server, and get access to all kinds of other fun bonuses and treats and goodies coming Uh, all the time for different levels of membership. It's great. I'm looking forward to really uh, nurturing this community over there more and uh, hope you can can join us over there. Also, if you want to check out CBD products, go to hempbombs.com, put in the code Mike15 at checkout and get 15% off all your CBD related things. Shout out to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the intro and outro music. And thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Until next time, much love. Peace.